recorded live. Well, hello, folks. We're back from the holidays, and, you know, it's about the 8th of January, and we're feeling good. We've had a good uh, vacation, both Dr. Garcia, my friendly co-author and co-host here, uh, had a, a few days off over the holidays. And uh, I did, too. And we had a wonderful time with uh, my wife's grandbabies. They're mine, too, I guess. But uh, they're, they're her kids that are having the, the grandbabies here in San Antonio. And we have about four of them now. And so it was great. They're from age six on down to about age uh, two months or so. So it's been interesting, to say the least. Anyway, um, I want uh, all of you to know that... Um, we're back, and we'll probably be doing this every couple of weeks, uh, like we've been doing, unless something comes up. So, you know, make plans to either join us live here on uh, com. You know, if you go there, you'll see the Utopia Wellness Hour come up at about this time every two weeks. Uh, we do it on Thursday at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight, whatever it is, um, which is, of course, my time. It's noon here in Texas and uh, about 10 a.m. out on the West Coast, so everybody can kind of listen in. Uh, if you get on the call with us, go to TalkShoe.com and just sign in. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, you can ask us questions here while we're talking, and we'll be glad to answer them. And it's pretty easy. You just type the question in, and, and eventually we get around to answering it uh, live here and maybe have a, a little discussion with you about it. So that's just a, a, something to put, look forward to in a couple of weeks. Try and join us live on this thing and see how it works. Those of you listening to this uh, as a recording, you know, we're glad to have you. And my name is Bill Henderson. I'm just a, an author. Uh, I don't have any letters after my name except MBA, which doesn't have much to do with cancer. Uh, but uh, Dr. Wellness, who is on here with me, is Dr. Carlos Garcia. He's my co-author in the book Cancer Free, uh, in the fourth edition of that book. And uh, we both uh, hope you can read the book. Uh, you can get copies of it several different ways on the Internet, certainly my website, you know, beatingcancergently.com hyphens between the words, or you can go to Dr. Garcia's website, utopiawellness.com. You'll find lots of information there, and, you know, we'd be glad to share it with you. And as he'll describe to you, he does uh, free consultations uh, with people uh, every week, and you can get one of those by calling his office and We'll give you the phone number here shortly. But before we get on here with this discussion, uh, I think my friend Dr. Garcia has a message for you. Doc? Bill, good to be on the air again with you. And I'm glad that your holidays went well. Uh, <clears throat> so, folks, the intention of this talk show is for information and educational purposes only. Any medical advice given on the show or read on either Bill Henderson's website, which is beating hyphen cancer hyphen gently.com or utopia wellness's website which is utopiawellness.com should not be substituted for an actual visit with a medical provider since definite diagnosis and treatment are not offered there is no doctor patient relationship we strongly encourage any information you receive and or perceive applicable to your situation from the show be discussed with your personal medical provider to determine what is best for you or to contact dr garcia at 727-799-9060 to schedule a free, non-obligatory cancer consultation. Bill, back to you. Hey, yeah. Um, I sure feel a lot better. Uh, you kind of covered our tushes there, and we appreciate that. I wanted to share with you uh, a question that came up on my website, actually, uh, where people leave comments and so on, and they kind of addressed it to both you and me. Uh, this particular guy, and, and uh, I'll share a little bit of, it, of his message with you and see if you have an opinion here on what he's asking us because uh, mine is pretty ill-informed about this subject. 
he says, I was diagnosed with a four centimeter tubulovillus adenoma, whatever the heck that is, in the hepatic flexure. I guess it sounds like it's in his, uh, in his kidneys. Anyway, uh, back in November 2011, I will not allow surgery, chemo, or radiation. I'm working on turning this lesion back to normalcy on my own because at the moment I have no money for alternative advanced health care uh, and because ditto no money for organic foods. Um, hmm. He has rejected any kind of conventional treatment, obviously. Uh, And he said his uncle died of metastatic colon cancer about two years ago. So he's kind of scared uh, of his uh, his, uh, future and whether he's doing enough. But he says, my ferritin levels are low, as well as my iodine and adrenal glands. I finally found a functional medicine doc that accepts my insurance. She has me taking 100 milligrams daily of Solgar Gentle Iron, sounds like. Uh, And what he's saying is that we state in the book, the fourth edition of our cancer-free book, that cancer cells like iron. I don't remember where we said that, but apparently we did. Uh, he, he didn't cite the page number, but he said, uh, in your opinion, and hopefully that of Dr. Garcia, am I making a mistake by following this doctor's advice in supplementing with iron to bring my iron levels up? Well, interesting question. Apparently, he's not anemic, um, but I don't know what, if anything, people with a, an iron deficiency should do about it and whether it would interfere with the healing of their cancer. And I thought maybe you might have an opinion on that, Doc. Well, um, I think that his villus adenoma is potentially bleeding um, because he has low iron stores. And the way you get low iron stores is when you actually have a bleed. When you're anemic, you're not producing the red blood cells, but your iron stores may be open may be adequate. So I suspect that what's going on in here is that he's got a little bleed going in his uh, uh, in his large intestine um, so that he's constantly losing iron. And iron is an integral component in, in making hemoglobin. So without the iron, you're not going to be able to make the hemoglobin. And without the hemoglobin, you're not going to be able to transport oxygen. I see. So in, in this particular case, it sounds like, and again, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know, the, the folks listening to this conversation have to understand. I have no, no medical records to, to base my conclusion. The, the hypothetical right. um, is that I suspect that he <clears throat> is um, bleeding out uh, at a rate that he can keep up with. Um, since I believe you said he's not anemic, uh, but that studies are showing that he is losing iron, and it's a matter of time before his iron loss will inhibit his ability to uh, generate more hemoglobin, so then he'll be clinically anemic for lack of iron. I see. So in this particular case, supplementation with iron, I would suggest, would be a good, a good, uh, a good step forward. Yeah. And is, there any, is, is there any particular uh, substance that you recommend as an iron uh, help? Well, there's, iron. there's a whole ton of different. I mean, the greens have a lot of iron. You have spinach, which has iron, and so forth and so on. The, the problem with doing it, the problem that I have in telling people just to do it with with dietary means, is that um, not not all. Um, spinach leaves are created equally, so they all don't have the same iron content. So you yeah. have a batch of, of spinach that has uh, an adequate amount, and you have one that may be deficient. Why? I don't know. Ask God. Um, and so, uh, at this particular reason, I mean, at that particular point, what you're better off is is taking a supplement, an iron supplement that has a specific amount of uh, or a known quantity of iron 
so that you can follow the ferritin levels in the lung. Uh, I'm sure that the doctor has done what they call a guaiac test. A guaiac test is when they take a, stool, a stool sample and they see whether or not there's blood content inside the, the fecal matter. I suspect that the guaiac test will be positive, um, yeah. which means that he's leaking out iron, and that's why he needs a supplement. Now, when people don't have an iron deficiency, a lot of the doctors, but have cancer and are anemic, a lot of the doctors just knee-jerkly, reflexively think that if you're anemic, it's because you're missing iron, and that's not true. And so for the person who has adequate iron stores, as shown by blood tests, um, then if you are put on iron supplements, <clears throat> iron will clog up, in my opinion, your liver functions and make your liver that much more sluggish. It'll, it'll add a burden to your liver, which is why I don't put patients who have cancer who are anemic but have no iron deficiency on yeah. iron. Okay. So, so you, you've got to look at the source of the anemia, and then you have to look at whether iron is actually lowered or appropriate. Yeah, and I so think. So, so is the, the best way to test is the best way to test the iron level. Is this is it this ferritin in the blood test? Yeah, there's there's a like two or three different tests that you do in the blood to figure out what the iron levels are. Yeah. And okay. Based on that, if they're low, then you need iron supplementation. And again, um, uh, you know, my vantage point, I mean, my, the standards that I'm held to are slightly higher than the standards you're held to. Um, yeah. And so for me, it's just much easier for me to say, look, this is a quantity. I know you can have all the spinach in the world, but on top of your spinach, take some of this. Because in, say, two weeks, we'll do another ferritin, transferritin levels, and so forth and so on, and we'll see how you're doing. So when your levels get up to a, <clears throat> to a right amount, then we can stop the pharmaceutical-grade supplementation and continue it with, with, um, with diet and follow you up. Um, I suspect that his villainous uh, his, uh, villain adenoma um, is leaking, and that one of the things that he should consider is allowing someone to scope him and to um, uh, cauterize whatever may be leaking, if it is that it's it's visible. Because sometimes you can be leaking, but but you won't be able to see it I see. because it's such a small trickle that, that when you get in there, you won't be able to see it. it it's not like a gusher. It's not that there's no little flag out there saying, "Here, I'm leaving from right here. Come cauterize me." Right. <laughs> The leaking is from the kidneys, is there, in this case? No. The, um, the, I suspect that his adenoma is, uh, is got a, a perforation of some sort, um, and I suspect that the uh, perforation allows him, depending on what he eats uh, <clears throat> and how well he chews, uh, in, in his particular case, mastication is, is, a, is paramount. Yeah. One of the one of the things that people should really uh, have some fun doing is go to any restaurant. I don't care if it's a three-star Michelin or a, a, a fast burger joint, mm. and and actually look at people when they take a bite of food, and see how many times they actually chew a bite of food. Yeah. Good question. I mean, it's usually like yeah. I mean, usually it's like three or four bites, and then it's a slug of liquid to force it down the gullet. Yeah. And so <clears throat> what you've just done by not masticating your food, not chewing your food, is twofold. Number one, you're not getting the digestive enzymes from the saliva mixed in with the food to start the digestive process. Yeah, right. Remember, when you eat whatever floats your boat, I don't care if it's a steak, I don't care if it's a, if it's a green smoothie. <clears throat> so if you take a blood sample right after you eat, we're not going to find that floating in your body. We're not going to see a little T-bone floating in, inside your red blood and in, in your serum. The cell had yeah. T-bone last night. Everything has to be broken down to molecules. That's the whole process of the digestive tract is to break things down to molecules 
which are then absorbed and used for either building blocks or energy um, in our bodies. And of course, whatever it is that absorbed goes out as waste. So everything has to be broken down from, if you will, the, the state down to the molecule or from the leaf down to the molecule. And that starts with the teeth. So this man or, or lady um, should be chewing his or her food at least 25 to 30 times, each mouthful. Yeah. And he shouldn't be stuffing his mouth like it's the last meal on earth. Yeah, I hear you. Small amount of bites, small food. Look, I, I always told my kids, if the food gets up and starts walking away, perhaps we shouldn't be eating it. <laughs> so, so the food's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, right. So take your time, chew your food, um, mix in the digestive um, juices from the saliva. Your mm -hmm. stomach is going to have to work less, which further breaks down the process, <clears throat> which now means that the pancreas, is going to have to work less. Your liver is going to have to work less. The right. process is smooth. Um, it's, it's facilitated. You're going to be absorbing better nutrients. And in this particular case, um, since the particles are better broken down, if you masticate each small bite between 25 and 30 times before you swallow it, yeah. if you do that, then by the time that it gets to the large intestine where he's having his problems, then the food's all going to be sort of like a um, um, like plaster yeah. with very few of any sharp edges um, and hopefully not irritating that frail tissue, causing um, an irritation which results in a, a trickle bleed from time to time. I see. Interesting. You know, you reminded me of something I read quite a while ago uh, about a, a study done, I think it was back around the 1950s or so, you know, where they, they discovered how important this was, what you're talking about, you know, masticating your food, if you will, and chewing it many times and so on. And a lot of people apparently got this information somehow. It must have been over the radio back then. I don't know. But anyway, uh, everybody was urging people to chew 100 to 120 times before they swallow anything. And everybody was going bonkers about <laughs> chewing, you know, way longer than necessary. But you're right. It, the chewing is usually almost non-existent. You know, we take a bite of food and bam. You know, it's gone, and our whole, our body has to try and handle this stuff that we're swallowing almost whole, you know, a lot of it. So, yeah, there there's obviously extremes that people were adopting back then, you know, where they were chewing for uh, the same bite for a couple of minutes before they swallowed it, <laughs> and that didn't quite work out. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, a nice, as usual, a nice um, moderate moderate. Uh, compromise here of chewing enough and I, I like the 20 to 25 30 times whatever and particularly with things like steak and so on that um, you know are particularly hard to to digest anyway and if you don't chew them enough man it, your body takes a lot of, uh, of strain trying to, to handle this stuff any other comments on that doc no, I mean that's. Uh, I think that, um, and, and the other, oh, the other comment here is this. Um, and I had this the same issue, not not the iron, but I had an issue with a very nice man yesterday on the phone, um, which is when you go to a doctor and you don't understand what is being conveyed to you. Yeah. What you should really do is ask the doctor to explain it to you in layman's terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in his case, it's like, okay, uh, doctor, uh, you know, Dr. Smith, I don't know what the doctor's name is. Uh, you know, I've heard that, that iron, when you've got potentially a cancer, is a bad thing. Can you please explain this to me? Um, and, and the answer is no. Or if he doesn't know the answer, look it up have a conversation about it. If you get um, 
if you will, uh, caught off guard. Uh, I've got to take iron, and you're not sure. You look it up. You call back the office, and you try to get an education. Uh, you're paying people good money to provide a service. Part of a service, you know, if, if we're talking plumbing, and and what the plumber tells me just doesn't sound intuitive. I go to the plumber and I say, it's not making any sense to me. Explain it to me. Am I telling you not to do it? Because maybe that is the right way to do it, but I just don't see it. So do me a favor. Before we do it, since it's my house and I get to pay whatever repair bills, you know, if if you go sideways, someone's going to come in here. I'm certainly not going to sue you for his labor because it's going to cost me more than I'm going to get out of it. So before you do it, what is it? that you're going to do and why is it that you have to do it this way since it's counterintuitive for me yeah really well that's uh, very very good advice and i hope everybody learns from that that uh hey you know the doc is is required you're paying him for this he's required to communicate with you he or she and if they're not if they're not communicating with you and they don't don't seem to have time or whatever you know tell them hey I, I either need you to explain this to me in in ways that I can understand what we're talking about here, or I'm going to find somebody else. I don't know. That may not affect them much at all if they're if they're spending the two or three minutes that most of them spend with their patients. Uh, well, well, give that's because the patient allows them to do that. <clears throat> yeah, you got it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if, if the patients don't leave the room and everything comes to a grinding halt. Yeah. Then the doctor's going to have to deal with the issue. Right. The problem is that the patients basically follow, like cattle, they get herded out, and they do that. Now, you'll hear some some staff, at least I've heard some staff, and what do they want? It's a $20 copay. Well, it's a $20 copay because the doctor agreed to $20. That, that's what the doctor valued his his time at. <laughs> so so if, if you... If the doctor values his time at twenty bucks, that's not your problem as a patient. That's the doctor's problem as a professional. Right. <laughs> okay. So please don't let don't let anyone tell you what do you want for twenty bucks. Because my yeah. answer is that's what the guy thinks he's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good point. Well, I was, uh, you know, I was thinking about what to do as a nice start to the new year uh, with a discussion with you today, which is always interesting to me because I almost always learn something from it. But um, I was thinking about German new medicine, and I, I know you've studied about this somewhat, and I certainly have too. In fact, I went to a four-day conference up in Montreal one time on it, and you know, watched a lot of slides, and I had an interesting experience, which I'll talk about later at that thing. But if you agree, uh, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Hammer, H-A-M-E-R. People people can look him up on the Internet. They'll find a lot of information about him. Uh, a German doctor, Reichgeard Hammer, something like that. His last name, though, is H-A-M-E-R. Uh, who developed something back in the uh, literally the 1980s, I guess, after he had an experience with cancer of his own, and his wife uh, passed away from her cancer. Uh, a theory about cancer that had to do with its connection to some kind of a, a trauma, a trauma that happens to the person of some kind, you know, emotional trauma usually, uh, in, caused by something, some major event that happens to them. Uh, and he was he was not a cancer doctor. He was not a, an oncologist or radiologist or anything. He was, I think, a, a heart doctor. I don't know exactly, but he was <coughs> patients. But after he lost his wife, they both, he got this theory that they both had developed their cancer. He had testicular cancer, I think. His wife had, I don't know, something like ovarian cancer. Uh, he, he, he developed this theory that they may have developed the cancer as a result of what happened to their son in uh, some harbor in Italy 
where he got accidentally shot by somebody and killed at a very young age in his early 20s. And both of them, within the next two or three months after that, uh, got a cancer that was diagnosable. And, you know, his wife didn't recover from hers and, and lived another two or three years, I guess. But he recovered from his. But he got this theory that the shock of that, that son being shot to death by somebody accidentally uh, was enough to have brought on their cancers, both of them. And he started investigating this. And he worked with literally hundreds of cancer patients you know, talking about their their history before they experienced the cancer, as far as their uh, traumatic experiences and so on, and developed this theory, which he eventually called German New Medicine, I guess because the uh, the term New Medicine was already taken. So he called his German New Medicine, and it was based on this theory of his that he felt he had proven with these hundreds of cancer patients that virtually all cancers involve some kind of a trauma uh, that is visible, it turns out, on a brain CT scan, which he examined enough of these to find that he could identify from the brain CT scan where the, where the, the uh, cancer was located. Uh, that certain parts of the brain that control certain organs. And what he found was that, you know, with a, a lesion of some kind visible on a brain CT scan, which was not a cancer in the brain, uh, but was simply an indication that some trauma had been recorded by the brain and it had affected a certain portion of the body. And he was able to, you know, pretty much tell in fact he did some experiments with people that he never saw where he took their brain ct scan and diagnosed uh, from that you know what they had and he was pretty accurate i remember hearing about one where he discovered four or five things in a guy he'd never seen before uh you know as far as diabetes and cancer and on and on uh from his brain ct scan and he was correct, apparently. So, I mean, I'm just trying to summarize a little bit of Dr. Hammer's history. And he went through, oh boy, I don't know, 45, 50 years. Um, I don't know how long exactly I counted, but maybe 30 years or something. Uh, seeing lots of cancer patients in Europe who came to him because they had heard about this theory that he had developed and was was publishing in some fashion. And they would come to him, and he would do a brain CT scan of them or something and would determine from talking to them and so on that they, yes, had been through some kind of a trauma that brought on their cancer. And he was able to help them, you know, get over a lot of the cancers by understanding this, dealing with it, and so on. It was a... A very interesting theory, German New Medicine. He was put in jail a couple of times in in, England, in uh, France once. He was living in Spain at the time. He'd moved from Germany when he got pressured there by the conventional cancer system. And they picked him up in Spain uh, because somebody complained about his uh, dealing with their wife or something and got put in jail in France one time, I recall. And a lot of, uh, there were uh, demonstrations and so on on the street uh, in front of the jail in his favor where people were saying, you know, they shouldn't uh, punish this guy just because he was trying to help people and so on. Uh, and he eventually moved out of the uh, Euro zone uh, into a country which he didn't want to publicize. But uh, in the process, he trained some people in Canada, the United States, and so on. And one of those ladies that he trained was uh, conducting seminars uh, regularly. And I went to one about, I don't know, I guess about eight years ago, back in, I don't know, 2007 or eight, somewhere along in there. Uh, it was very interesting. So, I mean, I'm, I don't want to 
monopolize the thing here. I know you've studied this, Doc. What do you think about its validity, <laughs> diagnosis or treatment or anything? Well, I, I tell patients um, when I speak with them on the phone or in person that 85% of all cancers, in my opinion, are caused by either dental toxins in the form of root canals or, or root canal filled teeth or uh, cavitations, mm-hmm. which is a fancy word for abscesses, or an emotional issue or a combination of both. Um, yeah, well, I agree with that, obviously. You and I have talked a lot about this. Yeah. So, yeah, but I know you've studied about Dr. Hammer's theory. What do you think? Is his approach uh, correct, basically, in trying to connect certain experiences with certain types of cancer and so on? And, and in fact, in my opinion, it is. When when I talk to people, and I I uh, was talking to someone who has a multiple myeloma yesterday, and I said to the man, I said, um, well, you know, this gentleman named Hammer, and I went through more or less the same dissertation. And what I what I tell people is the following, because um, I have to sort of condense it even more than you, <clears throat> just because of time. Um, and I tell them, I said, look, Dr. Hammer basically found that everybody with cancer, at least 85% of everyone who has cancer, has a lesion in their brain, which is not metastatic disease, and it's not cancer of the brain. Right. But it's an abnormality. And moreover, 85% of the time, a specific location of that of that lesion in the brain corresponds with a specific body part having the initial presentment of cancer. Right. That, that makes sense because different parts of my brain control different parts of my body. People are all with that. So now they're understanding that, that everything is falling across to what they've been taught. And I said to them, so what Dr. Hammer did was he questioned all 1,500 patients that he was dealing with, and he collated their answers depending on what body part first presented with cancer. And then after they collated all the information, Dr. Hammer then proceeded to read the answers, and he came up with some very interesting conclusions, which have been borne out by my almost 20 years of doing this kind of medicine. And that, so that people who usually have head, neck, and lung cancers, their emotional tie tends to be that when they speak, they feel that people, the recipients of the, of the speech, either ignore what they say, challenge what they say, or disrespect their opinion. People who have breast, ovarian, uterine, cervical, vaginal, testicular, penile, and some prostate cancers <clears throat> perceive that they've been betrayed by a loved one, whether it be a grandparent or a parent or a spouse or a child or a grandchild or a close friends or relatives or a colleague. Or there are caregivers who feel responsible for the death death of somebody that was under their care, something to the effect of, geez, if I had given him this supplement, perhaps he'd still be alive today. Had I known about that, or should I have done it this way? Maybe if I had done this. They they drive themselves crazy trying to play God or goddess. Um, And and, in the process, um, make themselves own the responsibility of death which, by the way, is part of life. The moment of conception, we start growing, but we also start dying. People who have esophageal, stomach, GI, colon, colorectal, rectal, um, kidney, bladder, um, and the other aspects of prostate cancer um, feel that they're stuck in a life with few options, such as, I hate my job, I hate my boss, it's the only employer that pays the kind of money I want to make, or yeah. I hate my home life, but I've got like 25 kids and a wife, and I can't afford the child support now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, people who have liver cancer are people who hold on to anger. These are people who, when they have an incident, uh, they get upset, and they just can't let go of that incident uh, for years, sometimes never. Uh, people who um, have uh, musculoskeletal cancers, uh, have feel that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders, like they're responsible for the welfare of their parents, their of their kids, their families. Um, they feel that uh, uh, they have the weight of a company if they're a company owner. 
that they are, you know, what 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 are all my employees going to do if I have to close my company? Um, people who have um, pancreatic cancers or tend to happen actually more pancreatic cancers tend to have a higher uh, propensity for the people who work in Hollywood um, yeah. because these are people in public image. And so when they feel that they're publicly humiliated or publicly disrespected, um, there's a higher incidence of getting um, a pancreatic cancer. And the list goes on. <clears throat> what I'm noticing, what I'm noticing is that when people wind up with initial cancer, that depending on what secondary trait they take on, facilitates the prediction of where the metastatic disease will go to. So the vast majority of people when they're diagnosed with cancer basically are pissed off. They're not about to throw a party. And and they're upset, and they become angry because that's when you're upset. Um, And so therefore... Uh, a lot of metastases go to the liver because people are angry, and that's where oriental medicine tells us that that's where we store our anger energy. So what we've done to New German medicine, if you're a German doctor, with all respect to them, that is a terrible name given the history of Mengele. So New German anything, especially with medicine, is a bad choice, but so be it. (laughs) So when you have... Um, people that are holding on to anger or people who feel that um, what's my family going to do if I die of prostate cancer, Um, you know, it becomes easier to understand where the metastases are most likely going to go. And it seems to be correlating quite well. Now, there are two more issues about what Hammer came up with. The, The... the less severe the incident, the, the more you need to look at a three, because the, the time frame for this incident is usually not when you're born. The time frame for the incident is anywhere from three years before you first diagnosed with cancer to three months. Right. Three months is a more severe case. In other words, like his case, the death of his son. Um, therefore, uh, with the death of his son, that's very uh, traumatic. And so you would expect the cancer to show up within three months. Something that has been festering for a while and not getting better and sort of like uh, a classic example is, is uh, breast cancer with, with men not taking care of their wives, not being uh, respectful of their wives and so forth and so on. And it's been festering for a while because they've got kids and the wife is putting up with the bullshit because of the kids. Um, so, therefore, uh, that one's closer to three years. If it's in the case of the body, if something happens on the right side of the body, such as right breast cancer, it's usually associated with a male figure. And that's true 85% of the time. If it's left breast cancer, it's usually associated with a female. And that's been true uh, Eighty-five percent of the time. So well, what I what I heard about that, and this is interesting because this is the lady that talked to me about her conversation with you. Um, what I've heard is that it depends on on whether you're right or left-handed, you know, as to which side of the body is affected by a certain type of, of uh, trauma. For example, what I understood him to say in this study that, uh, you know, this seminar I went to, is if the person is right-handed and experiences something like left breast cancer, that it is related to some blood relative. If it is a right-handed person with right breast cancer, it's related to a partner, not a spouse, but somebody that she is related to that is definitely not in her bloodline. Uh, what do you think? I mean, that's what I re- recall about it, and I guess it, it applies to other issues on either side of the body, the right or left. I don't know. Well, well, clearly what we're both 
<clears throat> alluding to the fact that this is not an exact science. This is an art. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, the, the reality here is that you need to, um, in, in my opinion, 100% of medicine is being right 85% of the time because 15% of the people just are in their own little universe, if you will. Things just don't yeah. fly. Um, so for the folks out there, we realize that, that this is an art. It's not necessarily a science. In fact, it isn't a science. And um, what I use it for is to hone in on what are the potential causes, the root causes of people getting cancer. Because, yeah, you got breast cancer, but you didn't get breast cancer because you had breasts. Right. You got breast cancer for a reason. Right. And, and that's what we have to get a hold of. Because, again, if you go back to World Life's work, World Life proved to my satisfaction that there are only two viruses that cause cancer. So if there are only two viruses that cause all of the cancers that we know of, then why the heck does it present the way it does? Yeah. How do you think of it? You get the flu, it's upper respiratory. It'll, it'll affect either your eyes and or your sinuses and or your upper respiratory system and or your lungs. So it's, it's And it always does that. It may start with your lungs and work to the eyes. It may start in your eyes and work to the lungs. Who cares? It's the same pretty much little area. But cancer is kind of crazy. <clears throat> you got prostate. You got bone. You got muscle. You got lung. You got liver. So you've got all sorts of organs except the heart. I've never heard of heart cancer. No. Uh, that's because it's too well oxygenated, proving that, that Otto Warburg, in my opinion, was right. Right. Uh, so you've got all these different presentments in my question for 10 years, which is why I like Hammer, because he answered the questions, at least to my satisfaction, was what makes somebody's lungs susceptible to cancer and another person's breast susceptible to cancer or another person has to liver? I don't yeah. understand it. And so when you start looking at Hammer's work and you start integrating the emotional components associated with all these issues, then my theory is that, yes, there's some sort of psychological issue that traumatizes a specific part of the brain that then causes that organ that is managed by that part of the brain to become acidic. As that organ becomes acidic by either decreasing the blood flow or what have you to that organ, again, traditional doctors start looking at gross changes. We're not talking gross changes. We're talking microscopic changes. Subtle right. changes. <clears throat> so, as you get these organs to have less blood flow and become more acidic, as you become acidic, your immune system becomes compromised. Now, right. Joe and I have stated many times that every day everybody is attacked with cancer. Even when you've got cancer, you're still being attacked by cancer. That's right, and, every day. Right. And so there's no magic wand that comes across and says, well, you've already got cancer, so we're not going to come here. No, it, it'll still come to you every day. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're, we're constantly being attacked, and our immune system does a phenomenal job of preventing it from taking hold. Right. The deal here is when you, that organ is acidified, your immune system can't protect you, then cancer establishes a beachhead, and then you wind up with what we call cancer. And that made sense to me. It may not make sense to anybody else in the universe, but that's everybody else's problem. Because <laughs> nobody else has got a, a theory as to why you get cancer. And it makes if you don't good, believe me... <laughs> makes good sense to me. Problem. I mean, literally, uh, as I, I think you know, I run in every day to a scenario of cancer that goes something like this. The person has had dental toxin issues for decades, okay? They're in their 50s, 60s, whatever. And they've had their teeth, you know, worked on with root canals or whatever. And their immune system has been kind of handling this uh, toxic load coming out of their mouth. And then they go through a stressful period of their life, okay? It can be a trauma of some kind, like Dr. Hammer's talking about, or it can be a long period of stress where they're helping 
trying to help a relative that they lose that they're very close to, or they lose a child, they go through a difficult divorce, it goes on for months, whatever. The combination of those two do two things that you just mentioned. They both cause acidity in the body, and you got to be acid or you don't get cancer, as you know. Your body fluids have to be acids for some reason. But they also, both of those, weaken the immune system. And combined together, they seem to be enough for most people uh, to experience a cancer that exceeds the body's ability to handle it. And that's what cancer is, obviously. I wanted to share one experience I had with the hammer uh, theory up in Montreal. It was kind of interesting because... And I told the people in, in my newsletter and so on that I was going up there, you know, to study this German new medicine for about four days at this seminar. And while I was there, uh, this lady conducting it was quite knowledgeable. She'd been trained by Dr. Hammer and had done a lot of these seminars. And she was showing us a lot of, you know, pictures of the brain CT scans, how they look, and, and the different organs that were affected and so on. Um, and while I was there, one of these, uh, one of my coaching clients uh, sent me a, C, a, a, a DVD, basically a computer, um, a computer disc with his wife's brain CT scan on it. And you know, I'd offered, you know, to to try and get evaluated if I could by the gal running this seminar. So he sent it to me. And, uh, of course, his wife had already been diagnosed and so on, and the cancer was being treated and what have you. And I didn't tell this gal conducting a seminar or anything about her cancer. I just said I, I had something I wanted her to look at. So we had dinner together, and I put it in my computer in my little uh, laptop and showed her the brain CT scan. And in about two minutes, she went through it and found that the gal had a cancer on her right thigh, <laughs> a cancer of some type, uh, on her right thigh, and that turned out to be exactly correct, okay? And the only thing she was looking at was the brain CT scan of this woman. So uh, it was kind of interesting, uh, that experience. It sort of convinced me that he's on to something. Uh, it's not going to help a hundred percent of the time for people, you know, to make sure they they know exactly why this happened, because even Hammer, I think, uh, as you indicated, thinks it's probably eighty-five percent or something like that, uh, where this is is the type of thing that's involved. But it's interesting, um, you know, if you if you understand this, you at least maybe know what you need to do to change your environment uh, in order for the the trauma or the shocks that caused this to not continue, you know, if it's possible. You know, that may require you getting another job or getting out of a marriage or doing something, you know, equally drastic to your life. But at least it, I think it's helpful for some people. What do you think, Doc? <clears throat> well, I think people are going to be what, you know, people are going to do what people are going to do. Um, and, and the whole purpose of this is to, to get to the root cause of, of cancer, because I'm sure that you know when when I, I ask people, I says, well, what do you want? The the number one answer is, well, I want to get rid of my cancer. And I said, okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. How are we going to do that? Well, I don't know. That's why I hired you. Okay, fine. Well, we need to get to the root cause of it. And in that <laughs> is where we get into the nooks and the crannies. Because people, I mean, the, the one thing, the one thing that you really don't want cancer to be yeah. is genetic. If your cancer is genetic, then you are screwed every possible way. This is why. <laughs> fortunately, I reiterate, fortunately, there is no drug yet, I'm sure, because someone's working on it, to, to tinker with your genes, with your DNA, with your chromosomes. Yeah. But if your cancer is genetically driven, if it is because your great-grandmother, your grandmother, your mother, your sister, and now you've got cancer, 
which, by the way, implies that your nieces and your daughters and your granddaughters and grandnieces are all going to get cancer, then you guys are screwed because there is no remedy. There is no remedy for genetics. Okay? So in, in the zeal, in, in, in this mad quest to blame everything on genetics, right? people need to understand that, like, even Angela Jolie, as I've said before, I mean, I wish her no harm. Yeah. But, but the whole point is that unless her body is the only body that I've ever heard of that has no stem cells, Angela Jolie still has breast tissue and still has ovarian tissue. So if her goal was to cut out every piece of, of feminine organ to avoid ovarian cancer and breast cancer, then the advice that she's been given is in sorely... Uh, misunderstood or poorly thought out because that means that it's all genetics. You can't get rid of your genes. You're stuck with your Levi's. (laughs) So, 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 So the whole deal here is you want to know what the cause is. You want to be responsible for why you have your cancer because if you're responsible, then you can change those choices whether it's because you've got root canals, get them removed, whether it's poor uh, nutrition, change your diet, whether it's traumatic issues, get assistance, okay? Whatever it is, if you are responsible, then you hold the key to your remedy. And nobody is better suited to hold the key to your remedy than you. I'm certainly not going to trust somebody else to know what's better for me. That's insane, yeah, right. Well, what I've noticed, of course, from asking people if, if they've discussed the cause of their cancer with their with their oncologist or their their cancer surgeon or whatever, uh, the answer, of course, is always no. Uh, the doctor doesn't discuss this with them. If they bring it up, the answer they get from them usually has something to do with genes. You know, the reason you got this is because, well, it's in your family and it's just bad luck. Okay. Obviously, this is ridiculous, okay? There are only about, I don't know, 2 or 3% of cancers, as far as I can tell, that have anything to do with genetics. Um, and in every case, I'm convinced that it has something to do with lifestyle choices before the genes cause anything in our body. Uh, it's the old epigenetics concept, which we've talked about before, but literally epigenetics is sort of establishing that hey you know if you got the wrong genes BRAC1, BRAC2 which our friend uh, Angelina Jolie was so uh, worried about uh, you know hey they're not going to kill you with cancer and you're not going to experience cancer unless they somehow get expressed by something and genes to get expressed require some kind of lifestyle choices that go through what, what this the epigenetic concept is just saying hey to express a gene and have it affect your body in some way it has to be expressed by the choices you make about what you're doing as far as what you're eating what you're doing as far as stress is concerned on and on what do you think doc <clears throat> I think I think you want to own it. I think you want to own your cancer. I don't think that you really want to um, allow doctors to get off. And, and, and the other question, of course, that never holds up to genes is, okay, if, if genes aren't bad enough for an answer, then the next answer is hormones, a hormonal imbalance. Yeah, okay. So... If the genes, if you already have the genes, and then it's it's propagated by or triggered by hormones, then explain to me why it is that when we are raging, our hormones are totally out of control, raging hormones as as um, prepubescent um, teenagers. Right. Okay. Why don't we get cancer? I mean, if if hormones are what's going to trigger cancers, the highest incidence of breast cancer should be in the adolescent female. Thank God it's not. Okay. 
If testosterone is going to be the predominant cause of prostate cancer, the highest incidence would be in the prepubescent male, um, you know, anywhere from 8 to 14, based on all the hormones that are being given to all the cattle and, and the other um, animal sources that are in general food population. Fortunately, it's not. So people need to start connecting the dots. Doctors hate and medicine will at all expense say anything and everything and confabulate whatever to say to avoid saying I don't know. But the reality is that we don't know. The cat's out of the bag. You heard it here first. We really don't know. However, you know, one MBA and one crazy doc have come up with something that seems to work 85% of the time as by and large, the causes of 85% of all cancers. <laughs> right. Without millions and gazillions of dollars of research. <clears throat> so yeah, my, you, my uh, theories, whatever I tell people, are just based on what I've learned from these, you know, gradually. <laughs> Thousands of people I've talked to over the last, really, 16 years, I guess, uh, you know, they've taught me that this pattern just kind of jumps out at you. It's obvious that the person has been through something stressful in the way of, of uh, some kind of experience that went on for a while and caused a lot of acidity in their body with cortisol being produced to excess and, and of course, weakening their immune system with the stress and so on. And usually that's coordinated with dental toxins because most of us have had dental work done and the combination seems to be the most common reason people get it and once they deal with those and of course change their eating habits and take the right stuff to support their body in the way of supplements and so on they tend to get over the cancer well hey you know when you have enough experience like i've had and you've had you know you try Try to educate people that, look, this is probably something you can control. You know, you're you're in charge here, not the doc, and, you know, certainly not us. Uh, and you can probably control this if you understand why it happened to you. So I think that's the message today, folks. Pay attention to why this happened to you and do something about it. Focus on the cause. You know, this is not some accident. Cancer doesn't happen by randomly to people. You know, there's definitely some reason you get it. Anyway, we're kind of running out of time here, I guess, Doc. Uh, what I want to tell people again is the importance of examining your all of your testimonials from people that will teach them a lot, uh, videos and one thing or another. Uh, all they need to do is go to your website, uh, utopiawellness.com is the name of the website. Uh, take a look at that. You'll find it easy to access a lot of the testimonials from people who have been healed or at least gotten the healing process started at the at Dr. Garcia's Utopia Wellness Clinic in uh, Oldsmar, Florida, which is near Tampa. So, hey, uh, I'm, I recommend people go there if they need uh, some kind of help with getting started on healing the cancer. So you're doing a great service, Doc, and I appreciate it. And, you know, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, you know, give your bride a hug for us, and um, I'll give Terry one. Perfect. Well, for those of you who are going to be diagnosed with this word called cancer, you will freak out. Okay. Once you stop freaking out, my recommendation is that you contact Bill Henderson. Bill is a clinically experienced, understanding, compassionate, and very well-read man. And these are the qualifications that are necessary for those seeking true healing. There is a myth out there that claims that cancer kills. However, I disagree. I think that the truth is that conventional treatments for cancer, in the form of chemo, radiation, and surgery, weaken your immune system, resulting in your inability to heal. <clears throat> our bodies are programmed to heal. However, in order to do that, you need to have a systematic program in order to get that back on track. And Bill Henderson has such a program. Not a theory, but if you go to his website, you will see numerous testimonials of people just like you who put their pants on one leg at a time who have been successful, and you too can also be successful. So please, once you get through the shock of recognizing that one out of two Americans get cancer, 
It's a very common problem today. Please call Bill, and Bill will help you get on the right track. Bill, my hat's off to you. I will give Tracy a kiss and a hug from both you and Terry, and do the same for both Tracy and myself too, Terry. And of course, yeah, we thank you very much, Doc. We'll enjoy it. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, if not sooner. We look forward to it, Bill. Bye-bye now. Bye.